In 1 Samuel chapter 2, we read verses 7 and 8. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. From the gloom to the glory is our subject this morning. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. He lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them to inherit the throne of glory. Hannah, under inspiration, in verses 4 through to 8, describes a series of seven contrasts which set forth 14 reversals. They are seven pairs, but there are 14 reversals. And in these reversals, the last four are described in verse 7 and 8. The Lord maketh poor, the Lord maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. That's four reversals. But Hannah doesn't stop there. At the last one, the Lord lifting up, she continues to expand on that. She continues to enlarge on that. And she waxes eloquent in describing further in our text, verse 8, what this lifting up is. So she's taken 14 steps, 14 reversals, And now at the last step, she brings us to the highest glory, to the greatest exaltation. This thanksgiving is in actual fact a psalm of exaltation. The verb to exalt is the key word in it. It occurs four times. In verse 1 there, what does Hannah say? Mine horn is exalted, is lifted up in the Lord. And then in verse 7, at the end of verse 7, he bringeth low and lifteth up, exalteth. And then in our text, verse 8, he raises up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up, this word exalt, exalteth up the beggar. And then at verse 10, at the end, the closing of the psalm, and exalt the horn of his anointed. And that's Christ. He's the anointed one, the horn of the anointed one, to be exalted at the last. It's a marvelous psalm of exaltation. And it's about Christ. And it's about Christ's people. It's a song of exaltation that sets forth the prophesied exaltation of the Lamb and his people's exaltation in him and through him. The exaltation of Christ. God lifteth up, God exalteth. 
And he primarily does that to Christ, his anointed, and then us in him. You see, we cannot be exalted without Christ. There is no lifting up for us and raising up of us to the place of glory without the anointed, without Christ. So Christ is very prominent in this psalm. We are forever in the dust without the Lord Jesus, without God lifting him up and exalting him. And and that's what has happened, as we know. Him hath God exalted to his right hand to be a prince and a saviour, to give us repentance that we may be lifted up and exalted to in him. We read in Philippians, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name. But it's not so much the exaltation of Christ that we are considering this morning, though that is foundational for what I am saying. But what we are considering this morning is the exaltation of the saints. You'll notice that the text does not just say one person. Verse 8, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. So we have the exaltation of believers in Christ. And that's what we are considering today. An exaltation from this gloomy dust to that glorious throne where Christ is. What a wonderful change. What a marvellous reversal that is. The greatest reversal of all. And we want to think about it. Now there are four things that I want to leave with you. We have first of all here a people identified. A people that are described in two words. He raiseth up the poor. Lifteth up the beggar. So these are poor sinners that God raises up. And you know, that's what sinners are. Sinners are poor. Enlightened saints, they have to confess this. I am poor and needy. And if you're a true Christian this morning, you feel that. You feel that all the time. I'm a poor sinner. And we are. As sinners, we are in a miserable condition because we're paupers. Now, of course, God did create us rich in Adam. And we had the Garden of Eden, and Eden was a rich place. You remember how all the river went out of it? And what did the river do? It went into certain parts of the land. And in some of those lands, we read, there was gold. And there was the delium and the onyx stone. Rich jewels, rich gold. That's how Eden's picture. All the riches, all the treasures, all the trees to partake of. All that God had for mankind. Man was rich. So rich. But we know the story. The devil came and our so well off parents, they threw it all away. And they cast it all from them and they lost out. And they physically became poor. And they spiritually became poor. And they were driven out of the garden. And they had to work in the ground for their bread and the sweat of their brow as poor paupers. 
And that's what the fall has made us. So poor. Satan has robbed us of all. Adam and Eve allowed Satan to rob us of all. And we lost all the riches of a holy and a blessed estate. And now we're poor in the dust. So no clothes. They had riches of God. But now they have clothes. But no riches of God. That's man. We have material things. We have clothes. Plenty of them too. But we're poor. Spiritually speaking. We've lost all the divine riches. Through our sin and through our folly. We've lost all righteousness. We've lost all communion with God. And now all that we possess is death. Poverty and death. We're not only poor, but we're so poor as to be in debt. We're great debtors. You know, you can be poor and not be debtors. But we're poor and debtors. And the debt is growing for sinners too. We're debtors to God. We're debtors to his divine justice. We're debtors to the law of God which we break and smash and crush under our feet. A growing debt. The debt of sin is an awful surmounting debt. It's as Hannah said, by him actions are weighed. And our actions are weighed and they're put in the balances. And the balances are increasingly coming down in debt. Greater debt. Greater debt against God. Sinners have offended God and robbed God of his glory and robbed him of his justice. And it has to be all paid for. It's such a great debt. Isn't sin debt in Jesus save? Pray, forgive us our debts. And so this, this awful daily debt that is increasing. And what happens to sinners is they go into the debtor's prison. And their case is really hopeless because they can never pay. And they can never come out. That's why hell is eternal. Because the debt is never paid. And even in hell the debt increases because men still sin in hell. And they can never come out. They'll never be able to pay to all eternity. And the terrible thing is that while all sinners are spiritually very poor, not all know it. Not all realize it. There are sinners, and that is a great majority of sinners, that they are so blind, they don't even comprehend that they're poor. They don't see that they're poor sinners. They don't feel it at all. They don't have any sense of the great debt. And whenever they do get the discovery of the great debt, it's too late. They're in the prison house then, forever and ever. And it has gripped their minds then, but it's too late. Sinners need to see now how great the debt is and how poor they are. They need to be feeling it now before they die. They need to be alarmed and awakened now before they go into the debtor's prison and perish. So they're blind. You see, there's a difference between being poor and being a beggar. Not all poor are beggars. 
Because a lot of poor are proud, and they don't think they're poor, and therefore they won't beg. To beg is to humble oneself. It is to ask humbly. It is to seek help. It is to reach out. It's not just the poor who are raised up. It's whenever they are the beggars. The poor must become the beggars to be raised. And the sinners, you see, it's not enough for them to be poor as they are. They have also to become poor in spirit. There are many poor sinners who are not poor in spirit. They are proud in spirit. And you can't become a kingdom citizen if you're proud in spirit. You have to become poor in spirit to be a kingdom citizen. And so many are so proud and they deny their poverty. That's the problem with sinners. In their poverty they say, I'm rich and increased with goods. I've got the bank full. I've got all these clothes. I've got this wonderful house. I've got all these material things. I'm rich and increased with good. I don't have need of anything. I don't have to beg God. That's how sinners feel. That's how they think. They talk like that. I have need of nothing. I have no need of Christ. I have no need of grace. I don't have any need of mercy. I don't have to condescend to beg, to seek grace. God has to make the poor, in actual fact, who are poor, but he has to make them poor in spirit. And that's why it says, he maketh poor. He maketh poor in spirit. He bringeth the proud who are poor in spirituality, but he bringeth them down lower to be poor in spirit. He maketh poor. You're always made poor before you're made to be lifted up. And the Lord, he maketh poor. Bless his name. That's how it all started becoming Christians for us. The Lord made us poor. We saw how needy we were and we were brought to the point where we were not ashamed to beg him, to ask him, to pray to him, to ask for mercy, to beat upon our breasts, God be merciful to me, the poor sinner. The Lord melted us. The Lord made us humble. The Lord made us poor. He brought us down. And, and this is what has to happen to sinners. The Lord has to make them poor so that they cry, forgive us our debts. And we've been so made poor in spirit that we forgive our debtors. We forgive it all. Because we've been made poor. We've been weighed down there low. We've had so many sins of ourselves. We just know what it is to be a sinner. And we forgive others their debts. Because the Lord has made us poor in spirit. And he's forgiven us our debts. This is how it is for Christians. He maketh poor. And there's no being lifted up and raised up until that takes place. So the Lord has been gracious in that reversal. So now, sinner, have you been made poor in spirit? Do you beg at his throne of grace? Do you know what it is to beat upon your breast and say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner? 
the poor must become beggars. You remember Martin Luther on his deathbed and they went through his garments, they went through his coat and his night clothes and they found a little piece of paper with some Latin words on it and some German words and some of the words that he said, I am a beggar. I am a beggar. Imagine that profound theologian writing that down before he died. I am a beggar. And so he is. And so are we all. So are you a beggar? There's no lifting up without being a beggar. Second thing is, there's a place that is low and vile. Out of the dust. From the dunghill. The dunghill. You see, the sinner's not only poor. That's not enough to describe our condition by nature. We're loathsome to God. We're in the dust, we're in the dirt, and the dunghill. Obnoxious, vile defilement of our low estate. The image of poverty doesn't even come close to the reality. We stink in God's sight and in his holy nostrils. We were of the refuse. You know, the dunghill was, was a growing dunghill. You know, the people had to you know, bring their slaps out and all their unclean out and you know, bring it outside the city and put it into the heap, the dunghill, all the rubbish, the unthinkable, where, where the poor who had nothing would go to try to claim something for nourishment. That's, that's, that's where, we're, where, where we are, the dunghill. Loosened. Vile, unclean. The dust. Need I tell you what the dust is? Remember the serpent? Cursed. You're, you're crawling the dust. The dust is the place for the serpents. To crawl about. They know nothing else. But crawling about in the dust. And the poor sinner. He's chosen to be with the serpent. He's chosen to be in the dirt. He's chosen to have the devil as his friend. He's chosen to do the works of the devil and to crawl about like the devil. Oh, we're loathsome to God. Just as a serpent is loathsome to God, so the poor sinner is loathsome to God. And yet God would lift him out of that place, out of the dust. Imagine that. He'd go to the slops. He'd go to the the dunghill outside the city and die on the cross to take them out of the dunghill. This is amazing. We're like the devil by nature. Our iniquities have gone over our head. Our wounds stink, the Bible says. They're corrupt because of my foolishness. If you've ever had a sore and given out the pus and all the infection and all the loathsomeness, the horrible stench, that's what our soul is to God. And all its wounds of sin. The unclean mind of our hearts. Offensive to his sight. He cannot even behold it with pleasure. Though he sees it all. Because he's a God of knowledge. So the sinner's not only dead in sin. But we're corrupting in sin. Just like a dead body. It's not just enough to be dead. The dead body is corrupting. It's decaying. It's increasingly stinking. 
You remember Lazarus, but this time he stinketh just four days. Imagine four decades of sinfulness. Imagine three score years and ten of sinfulness against God. By this time he stinketh. Stinketh very bad too. What must the soul be to God? How it must be a stench to him. And what did Hannah say? There's none as holy as God. What must a sinner dead in sin be to him? Do you remember Abraham? How he loved Sarah? What did he have to say? Oh, that I might bury her out of my sight. Even his beloved wife. He had to bury her out of his sight because it would just be a stench. And how are we to God? To bury us out of, out of his sight. And that's why hell is as it is. That's why the outer darkness is as it is. That God may bury them out of his sight. That stench of depravity. Of devils and men. Buried out of his sight in the, the blackness of darkness forever and ever. Oh, it's an awful thing. To be a sinner in your sin and to die in your stench. But the third thing is this condescending gracious saviour. Because not only are there loathsome ones in the text, there's a lovely one in the text. The Lord raiseth up the poor. He lifteth up, he exalteth the beggar, even out of the dunghill. This is grace. This is one who is altogether lovely and holy, and yet he'll come to the dunghill, and he'll come to the dust. Now, what does that tell you? If someone's going to come to the dunghill, if someone's going to come to the dust, to actually do that, to actually go to the heap of the slaps and to raise up out of it. What does that tell you about that person? Though he is most holy, it tells you he is most gracious. He is different. He is merciful. A God that does that a God that condescends to lift up out of the dunghill. Imagine it. The Most High Redeemer. This great rock of salvation that Hannah's been singing about. This Most High God. This Anointed One. Yet he comes into the world for us. To lift us up. He takes the step. He stoops. Because he can only reverse our estate. By him reversing his estate. He can only reverse us out of the dunghill by him reversing himself out of the glory to come down to the dunghill. And that person is Jesus Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. Though he was rich, yet he underwent the great reversal that Hannah speaks about. He was made poor. He maketh poor. He maketh himself poor. To raise us up out of the dunghill. The incarnation is the great reversal of God. God was made flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Because He wanted to lift us up out of the dunghill. His grace. He is a lovely Saviour, though we are loathsome sinners. Didn't we sing, 
above nations all, the Lord is high. Above heavens, his glory raised, he's high. Unto the Lord our God that dwells on high, who can compare himself that humbleth things to see in heaven and her earth that are. He lifts the helpless from the dust, the poor from low estate, that he may him with princes set, his people's princes great. You see how that psalm echoes Hannah's psalm? The dunghill, the low estate, the estate of Christ's humiliation to lift us up out of that. What was the estate of Christ's humiliation? The larger catechism answer is the estate of Christ's humiliation was that low condition wherein he for our sakes emptying himself of his glory took upon him the form of a servant in his conception and birth, life, death and after his death until his resurrection. The dunghill This is the grace of God. Hannah sings of her name. Her name means grace. Not her grace, but his grace. The grace of the high and lofty one. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we will praise to all eternity. The praise of the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, exalted with Christ. Now the fourth and last thing is what they are lifted to. Because it says they're lifted up and raised up out of the dust and the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them. That's how powerful it is. It cannot be resisted. It cannot be prevented. It cannot be opposed if God determines it to make them inherit the throne of glory. It's not down to their will. It's down to the will of this gracious, sovereign God to set them. The devil cannot prevent it among princes to make them. The hell cannot halt it to make them inherit the throne of glory. The sinner has to be raised out. That's the first thing. Out! Lifted out of the dust. Raised up from the dunghill. There's a separation that takes place from the sin. There's a lifting up out of the sin. Out of the iniquity, out of the uncleanness. Raised from the spiritual death. Raised from the spiritual perverse place. Taken away from it. And so we are dead and decaying. But he raiseth the dead. He maketh alive. Hannah has said all of these things. And God maketh alive. Verse 6 it says there. He maketh alive. He bringeth up from the grave. And he does. 
And the Lord gives us people new life in Christ. And he sets them on the rock. Remember, Hannah's talked about the rock. There's not just a high and holy God there, away, way up there, and of no interest to me, but no, he's the rock. And a rock is for us. A rock is a refuge for sinners. He's the rock of my salvation. And he, he lifts us up and he sets us on the rock at his right hand, Christ. So he sets our feet on Christ. He brings us into union with the exalted one. We rise in Christ. We are exalted in Christ. It's all in Christ in whom we have been joined to by faith. We die in him and we rise in him. And we are exalted in him and go to the throne of glory through him. It's all through this anointed one. Hannah has great insight here, you know. The Lord is detaining us at his grace. To think upon his grace, especially as we prepare ourselves for the table tonight. He brought me up out of an horrible pit. Out of the merry clay. Set my feet upon a rock. Establish my goings. From the end of the earth I cry unto thee. Whenever my heart is overwhelmed, oh, lead me to that rock that is higher than I, Christ. Oh, all you need is to be led to Christ, sinner. All you need to do is to look to Christ. All you need to do is to beg Christ. And he lift you up and raise you. And the dunghill is over now and it's behind us. It's past. And we walk in the paths of righteousness. New life, new state, new friends, noble friends, set among princes. For every Christian is a princely person. And we're made citizens of a kingdom. A kingdom of princes and priests unto God. We're in the royal family now of the king. The king of glory himself. And our elder brother has said, When you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven. He's made us kings and priests unto God. Unto his father. Unto our father. And to him be glory and dominion for it all, forever and ever. And so we have this position now in Christ. The believer inherits. Every word in here has to be noted. To inherit. Makes them inherit the throne of glory. An inheritance. Because they've been made heirs of God. Jointers with Jesus Christ. It's not just that they get a gift. It's not just that they're getting some payment. No, they've been made adopted into the kingdom. Adopted into the family of God. And they have the inheritance of the one who died. Who has left them his will and testament in the new covenant. They have all things in Christ. They inherit what Christ inherits. And what did Christ inherit? He inherited the throne of glory. Sit thou at my right hand. Till I make all your enemies your footstool. They inherit that with them. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Sitting on the throne with Christ. A 
Imagine that, the dunghill to the throne of glory. It's unspeakably amazing. The believer enjoys this earnest now. We have foretastes of this now. We enjoy this spiritually now in our union to Christ. But after this age, the believer enters into it in all its fullness at the consummation, at the end. And we become like Lazarus. Beggars in the dust and the dogs licked their wounds. But after death, after this age, after this world, raised. Raised to sit with Abraham and with all the princes of glory. Raised to be around the marriage supper of the Lamb with all the princely people of the king. To be married to the bridegroom, the king himself. The new heaven and the new earth is completed in this. In the great raising of all, the resurrection from the dead. The literal resurrection from the dead is also prefigured in this. There are echoes of the last day here too. The great day of exaltation, the great day of redemption, the great visitation of God when he reaps the dead and raises his people from the grave and brings them into the new creation to be kings and princes in the new cosmos, in the new age. For all ages, world without end, living and reigning with Jesus Christ. This is what God does for his people who believe on his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what Hannah sees, you know. She sees that day, the adversaries of the Lord broken to pieces, the heavens thundering, in the new creation, the new cosmos entering in as the old departs and his people with his anointed. God, his son Jesus Christ and his people. Princes in the new age, the new world. This is what she means by her horn exalted. You know, she's not just happy because she had a baby. She had the baby years ago. The Lord has taught her. She's giving the baby away. She has something far better. That is filling her soul with praise and thanksgiving. She's taken into the heaven. This is just an amazing song. The Lord has gripped her soul. And she has described what the truth of our Lord was when he said... Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's why Hannah is rejoicing. Let us rejoice with her.